from CGTN headquarters in Beijing. This is the hub with Wang Guan. Hello and welcome to the hub on CGTN in Wang Guan in Beijing. The 22nd Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit ended in Samarkand, Uzbekistan, Friday, but a new beginning has started. The Samarkand Declaration, signed by the SCO's Council of Heads of State, reaffirms their commitment to a security. In a world threatened by terrorism, separatism, and extremism, and a comprehensive plan to further cooperation will be implemented from 2023 to 2027. Also, the eight-member alliance is expanding with two new memberships in the pipeline, as well as new dialogue partners. Finally, with the summit being part of President Xi Jinping's first trip abroad since the pandemic, there was a global spotlight on China's plans. His bilateral meetings. And the upcoming National Congress of the Communist Party of China, of course. What are the major readouts from the 48 hours in Samarkand, Uzbekistan? Professor Alexander Lukin joins me from Moscow. He's the director of East Asia and SEO Studies at the Moscow State Institute of International Relations in Beijing, China. We have Victor Cao, chair professor at Suzhou University. Gentlemen, a very warm welcome to the hub,、uh, as always.、Um, let me start with a, a common question to both of you. How would you? Assess the Samarkand summit,、um, Professor Lukin. Let me start with you. Was it just another meeting, or does it have any special significance on today's global events and issues? Well, formally, it was just another meeting, or、uh, as it is officially called, the、uh, meeting of the heads of states of SCO. But in fact, it was not because it, it was special. Uh, for example, because uh, it was the first uh, face-to-face, non-online meeting、uh, after the pandemic, so of course the leaders could not only talk official things but also meet unofficially on the sides、uh, of the meeting, and、uh, there was several meetings between heads of states of of、uh, President Putin of.、Uh, Chinese leader Xi Jinping of, and of other leaders. So, of course, it was、uh, very important from that point of view.、Uh, Professor Gao, what's your assessment? What's special about this SCO summit? I think this SCO summit is extraordinary and very special in the sense that the world right now is at a crossroad. Whether you promote peace and cooperation on the one hand, as what the SCO member states want to do. Or whether you agitate or monger for war and conflict, as some other countries in the world want to do. Therefore, I think this SEO at this very important historical crossroads gathered and rededicated themselves not only to fight against the three evils—that's terrorism, radicalization, and extremism—but also to dedicate themselves. To promoting peace and stability and cooperation among the member states and also among a larger country gathering, because many other countries want to become full members of the SCO. So this has taken on extraordinary meaning and significance, not only for SCO as an organization, but all the SCO member states, observer states, and those who apply for full membership. And history will mark this as one of the most important turning points because there is a choice to be made. We want to promote peace and development and cooperation, and we want to oppose any attempts to split the world into different blocks 
for war and confrontation and conflict. Yeah, a historic moment, a historic summit. Uh, let's talk about President Xi Jinping's trip. It is his first state visit abroad since the pandemic and uh, visited Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan and attended nearly 30 events uh, in the past couple of days. Uh, Professor Lukin, at the summit, President Xi suggested five measures for a closer SEO community, including enhancing security cooperation, enhancing mutual support, deepening practical cooperation, strengthening cultural and people-to-people -people exchanges, and upholding multilateralism. Uh, how do you see the SEO making this a reality? Well, SCO has basically three main uh, directions of cooperation. The security cooperation, uh, the cooperation, economic cooperation, and the uh, cultural and, I would say, humanitarian part. Um, the most advanced part or direction is uh, the security cooperation. And we see it uh, because the whole range of various... Uh, events are going on uh, every year for example uh, military exercise joint military exercises the exchange of security information uh, within the regional anti-terrorist structure which uh, uh, which works in tashkent in uzbekistan uh, the the place of the meeting well the place is actually another city but in the it, 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 it's, it's situated in the uh, capital of Uzbekistan. So this is the most important uh, part, especially now, because as my colleague said, uh, the international situation is very tense, and the western uh, part of the world is uh, uh, consolidating itself, uh, and uh, at the same time it has hostile policy towards uh, several non-Western countries such as uh, Russia and China uh, and that's why the non-Western world, uh, world has also to consolidate and to promote uh, cooperation between, uh, between non-Western countries so from that point of view is, this is very important as for economics it's, it's I would say the least developed part of SEO cooperation and unfortunately, we don't see many economic projects. Uh, and uh, I hope that after India and now Iran joined uh, SCO together with Pakistan, uh, these countries are quite interested in cooperation with Central Asia and, and mainly, also mainly in economic cooperation. So I hope that there will be more economic, prob uh, more economic uh, projects within SCO. Yeah, Professor Gao, President Xi Jinping once again reiterated the importance of his global security initiative, uh, which is a very important part uh, of initiatives that can really contribute to 2030 global sustainable development agenda of the United Nations. Um, why do you think he's reaffirming these commitments once again? And uh, does that concern convey a sense of urgency to you? Absolutely. I think uh, the world, as we just now mentioned, is at a crossroad. And uh, there are real attempts by certain countries in the West which want to split the world into two opposing blocks and uh, based very much on military consideration, on confrontation and conflict. Now, if we fall into that strap, then the world will lose peace and stability.
the world will be divided into a hierarchical structure where the emerging markets and the developing economies probably will be destined to follow the so-called leadership of the Western countries. But in reality, the world today should be a multilateral world. That means no country should dictate its terms for the rest of the world, and all countries should be treated equally. Now, in this context, I think President Xi Jinping is absolutely right in promoting a world vision where all countries, big and small, should be treated equal, with equal dignity. And the focus should not be uh, made for war and confrontation and conflict. The focus should really be shifted very much to peace, stability, development, uplifting people from abject poverty and joint efforts in fighting against uh, consequences of climate change, for example. And in all these very noble uh, initiatives, no significant achievement can be made without stability. And that is the initial uh, aspiration of the SEO to putting a united front against terrorism, extremism and radicalization because only by doing so can we create a structure of peace and stability and people can get the benefits of continued economic development and we will not be distracted by those countries in the West as if they hold the truth and other parts of the world don't have the truth. Now it's time to demonstrate that SEO itself has the truth. And the truth is to promote peace and consensus and economic development. Uh, yeah, it's really important to hear from the global south and the developing world. Um, Victor, let me stay with you. President Xi Jinping had a bilateral meeting with the Russian President Vladimir Putin, of course, on the Thursday, uh, where President Xi said China will work with Russia to extend strong mutual support on issues concerning each other's core interests. And this is being interpreted by a section of foreign media as China showing support for Russia's uh, actions on Ukraine. Um, how do you see it? Now, first of all, ever since February the 24th, China's position regarding the special military operation or the war in Ukraine has been clear and well-defined and consistent. That is, China promotes peace. China wants to do whatever it can to help both Ukraine and Russia to bring the war to an end as quickly as possible, rather than, like other countries are doing, try their best to prolong the war in Ukraine, because we know for sure that if the war is prolonged, who suffers the most? It's the people of Ukraine who suffer the most. And some countries urge Ukraine to fight until the last Ukrainian standing, which is extremely unfair for the Ukrainian people. So China is on the side of peace. And in their summit meeting, President Putin mentioned that he understands why China has concerns about this military situation in Ukraine, and this demonstrates to the world that China has expressed and communicated to Russia its concern about this war. And I truly believe the Chinese side also conveyed to the Russian side China's desire to see the war coming to an end as quickly as possible, and China stands ready to do whatever mediation or good offices, for example, as possible to bring the war to an end. Yeah, thanks for these uh, clarifications and perspectives. Professor Lukin, uh, let me turn to you. President Vladimir Putin said that Europe is to blame for its energy crisis, not Russia. 
after the SCO summit, he told the media, the bottom line is, if you have an urge, and it's so hard to fight against, just lift the sanctions on Nord Stream 2. Uh, the Nord Stream 2, of course, is the gas pipeline project to transport gas from Russia to Germany, uh, which was shelved by Germany when the Ukraine war started. What do you think? Is Europe's energy crisis caused by its own actions? Well, of course, the energy crisis, uh, the reasons for that are uh, the Europeans are to blame for, the, uh, for it. Uh, but it's not uh, only the Ukrainian situation. It's uh, also, first of all, it's their own policies because uh, this kind of uh, wrongly understood green policy or environmental policy where many countries, you know, cut to cut the emissions, they actually cut, uh, cut the, wanted to cut the role of, uh, you know, oil and gas, and uh, especially coal. So now they don't have enough uh, enough electricity, uh, and also the unilateral sanctions against Russia. Uh, well, of, this is very simple. They need more gas and oil, but they refuse to buy it. So of course they themselves created this strange situation and now they blame other countries for that uh, so from that point of view president putin is absolutely correct yeah, professor looking vladimir putin also had a bilateral meeting with uh, narendra modi the prime minister of india uh, where according to india's foreign ministry um, uh, modi said and i quote i know that today's era is not of war and we have spoken to you many times on the phone that democracy, uh, diplomacy, and dialogue are such things that touch the world. Of course, this has been regarded as rebuke to Russia's actions in Ukraine. But later on, um, Narendra Modi also said India values its unbreakable friendship with Russia. Uh, what do you make of all this? Well, I have also a feeling that India is not uh, very happy about the position of the West. Because um, the West, the Americans and Europeans urge India not to buy Russian oil. And it is buying uh, now more Russian oil than before. Uh, uh, because Russia, uh, uh, Russia offered quite a significant discount, about 30%. So uh, Indian uh, leaders are not very happy because they say you are buying the Russian oil the, uh, themselves in Europe uh, for much greater quantity, but you want us not to do it. This is a, a ridiculous policy. And also from Indian point of view, it's kind of colonialist policy because the, uh, the developed countries dic want to dictate Indian policy uh, and not to do the thing that they do themselves. Um, so I, th I, I think that because of that, India is becoming kind of more sympathetic to Russia. I, I listen to Indian news and read some, new, uh, some Indian newspapers, and it seems that Indian position is becoming more and more sympathetic towards Russia. And I think that this was what, what was actually discussed uh, during the meetings in, uh, in Samarkand.
with, between uh, leaders of Russia and India. All right. Uh, uh, Victor, uh, finally, let me turn to you. President Xi Jinping concluded his statement at the summit at Samarkand, Uzbekistan, by mentioning the upcoming 20th uh, Party Congress of the Communist Party of China, um, which is going to be held next month. And President Xi said it will draft the action plans and policies for China's new development goals, which, which he said will create new opportunities for the world. How do you see that happening? Well, first of all, the upcoming 20th Party Congress in China will be a major political event, not only for China, but for the whole world, because China now is so powerful, influential, and impactful on the global stage that the world is very, very interested in what's going to happen at the 20th Party Congress. I think the 20th Party Congress will rededicate the party and China as a whole to a more refined and more sophisticated way of continuing reform and opening to the outside world. China will not be isolated from the rest of the world. On the contrary, China will open its door broader and more and more welcome, more investments, more foreign enterprises, more exchanges uh, from the rest of the world, for example, so that we will continue to defend free market and free trade and further version, the higher version of the globalization. This, in its turn, as President Xi Jinping emphasized, will create more opportunities, not only for China, but for the rest of the world. Uh, finally, Professor Luking, what are you looking for when you talk about, when you look out for the 20th Party Congress of China? Well, it's an important event, of course, the most important event in China in, in Chinese politics. So we are uh, waiting about uh, decisions, like important decisions uh, for the development, uh, for the, for, which w would be important, I think, for the development of China, China's politi foreign policy, China's economics. But we are also waiting, um, like, like, like people like myself, like China scholars, we are also waiting for a moment when we can go and visit China because, you know, mm -hmm. because of strict uh, me measures against the pandemic, which were actually very, uh, very, very effective. Unfortunately, there is this side effect that we cannot go and meet with our Chinese colleagues. This, for us, is very regrettable. All right. Uh, Professor Luking and Victor, thank you both so very much for coming on our show. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been watching The Hub on CGTN. More to come after the break. Welcome back. You're watching The Hub on CGTN. Turkmenistan is not a member of the SCO, but it shares the same security and development concerns as the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The Turkmen president attended the Samarhan summit as a special guest, where he asked for support for his country's initiatives at the United Nations for peace, security and stability. In an earlier interview, he asked about the China-Turkmenistan relationship. Watch this exclusive interview by CGTN Russia. First of all, I would like to thank CCTV and CGTN's Russian channel for proposing the interview. Communicating with such an authoritative and reputable media outlet with tens of millions of viewers at home and abroad, will further promote mutual understanding between our two countries and peoples. 
Turkmenistan highly appreciates and will never forget China's support in the process of Turkmenistan gaining independence, its respect for Turkmenistan's neutral status, and China's foreign policy on the basis of that. On issues concerning China's core interests, such as territorial integrity and the One China Principle, Turkmenistan has always maintained a clear attitude that is firmly adheres to the One China Principle, supports the peaceful development of cross-strait relations, and supports China's peaceful reunification. For Turkmenistan, China is not only a great country, a powerful world economic and industrial center, a broad and promising market. But also a reliable and trustworthy friend. Similar worldviews with related goals and tasks in international peace and security affairs unite Turkmenistan and China. The two countries interact effectively on international stage, support each other in important international organizations headed by the United Nations, and coordinate political and diplomatic efforts to promote and achieve constructive solutions. Such characteristics of the Turkmenistan-China relationship conform to the fundamental interests of the Turkmen and the Chinese people, and have a significant and positive impact on the development process of the Eurasian continent and even the world. On the agenda of the Turkmenistan-China dialogue, the situation in Central Asia has attracted much attention. In this regard, two countries are under the same position. Turkmenistan and China are both in favor of building a solid security system in Central Asia, based on the balance of multilateral interests and insisting on solving various problems through political and diplomatic means. On these issues, Turkmenistan and China, as responsible members of the international community, have made substantial contributions to the establishment of a regional interaction mechanism. And support for the sound development momentum of the region. One of the priorities of Turkmenistan's cooperation with China is in the field of fuel and energy. It is understandable that both countries have great potential in this area. Turkmenistan-China gas pipeline was formally opened in the end of 2009. It is an important example. Of the development of partnership between the two countries on the basis of equality and mutual benefit, and has opened up a broad horizon for cooperation in natural gas between Turkmenistan and China. In such projects, from producers to transit countries to consumers, all parties involved can achieve a balance of interests. Now, with the increasing demand from China and under the promise of abundant reserves in Turkmenistan. Both sides are examining ways to increase Turkmenistan's gas exports. Turkmenistan is now preparing to conduct a feasibility study on the construction of the fourth natural gas pipeline with China. The cooperation committee mechanism between Turkmenistan and China is operating effectively. At the meeting in November 2021, the two sides signed five documents. Including 2021 to 2025 intergovernmental cooperation plan, Turkmenistan sees these as a solid foundation for the two countries to move forward hand in hand. Objectively, common interests have prompted Turkmenistan and China to successfully establish a partnership based on the Silk Road Revival Plan and the Belt and Road Initiative. 
promoting the implementation of the Silk Road Revival Plan and the Belt and Road Initiative can increase the momentum of the economic development of the Eurasian continent that connects the Pacific and the Atlantic Oceans, help to create an interconnected production technological system, an industrial hub, and solve a series of social problems and bring tangible benefits to the people. I believe that diversified cooperation will act as the cornerstone of the new future of Eurasia's geo-economics. In the process of realizing this goal, any constructive ideas, strategies and initiatives will complement each other on the basis of long-term mutual benefit. Therefore, I believe that in terms of their own philosophical concepts and geo-economic significance, the Silk Road Revival Plan and the Belt and Road Initiative complement each other. Cooperation in the field of humanities is one of the key factors in strengthening friendship and mutual understanding between our two countries. Our people share a wide and mutual passion in each other's arts and cultures, and the countries have created favorable conditions for extensive contacts between talents in the creative and scientific fields. Both countries agreed that they will continue prolonging this partnership. Education is the key direction of bilateral cooperation in the field of humanities. Turkmenistan highly appreciates the supportive attitude of China in welcoming Turkmen youths to learn professional skills and practical knowledge in Chinese universities. In addition, the two countries will cooperate further in sports. One example is the Chinese delegation's participation in the Asian Games in Turkmenistan in 2017. Our cooperation has proven fruitful and will get passed down from generation to generation. In general, the two countries have brought space for cooperation in the fields of politics, economy and trade, transportation and energy, investment, high technology, culture and humanitarianism. Prospects for cooperation are promising. And I sincerely wish you peace and well-being. I wish the successful completion of various development plans and great achievements in economic and social development. May your life be prosperous. I believe that Chinese leaders' far-sighted domestic and foreign policies will surely bring new achievements and victories to the country. And that's all we have for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. Thank you for joining us. I'm Meng Guan in Beijing. Our news coverage continues. Bye and take care.